0: This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I took some Athletic Greens this morning. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. This is how I woke up today, and this is how I start most mornings. I get out of bed, I turn on a podcast to listen to, and the first thing I do is I throw a scoop of Athletic Greens in a water bottle that I keep in my fridge overnight so it's nice and cold, I shake it up and sip on that while I'm making my coffee and getting ready for my day. It's super refreshing, I love the flavor. There's some pear and apple extract in there along with a little stevia to make it delicious but not too sweet, I really enjoy it. I look forward to it almost as much as my first cup of coffee, which is saying a lot for me. Why do I take Athletic Greens aside from it being delicious? Well, I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and really gives you all of the micronutrients to meet your daily needs. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but it's hard to eat perfectly all the time. I live in a van, I travel all the time. Some of the places I like to climb are out in the middle of nowhere, and it's really hard to get good produce. I'm sure all of you can relate to that when you're going on climbing trips. And the thing I love about Athletic Greens is if I take my one scoop in the morning, I know I'm covered. If you wanna try it out and see what all the fuss is about, Athletic Greens is giving you, my dear listener, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is brought to you by Crimped. This might be the best tool in the app store when it comes to training for rock climbing. Here's the deal. The Crimped app gives you access to 75 different workouts created by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall and Ollie Tor of Lattice Training for free. So you can download the app right now and see if you like it. And if you want even more training power, consider signing up for Crimped Plus, Crimped Plus unlocks three main things. Instead of the 75 workouts you get with a free version, you will have access to over 200 workouts and progressions. Secondly, with Crimped Plus, you can create your own custom training plans right there in the app. And finally, you'll unlock a collection of skill templates designed to bootstrap your training and focus on specific areas of improvement. Want to improve your finger strength or get more flexible or conquer the one-arm pull-up? Well, guess what? There's a skill template for each of those things and many more that will guide you through the process. So check out Crimped. Go to crimpt.com or download the Crimped app for free from the App Store and consider signing up for Crimped Plus. Crimped. Training on your own has never been easier. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Brittany Levitt. Brittany is the CEO and one of the co-founders of Brown Girls Climb. We talked about what that is and their mission in this episode, so I won't go too much into it here. I'm going to read a paragraph from Brittany's bio on her website. Brittany works hard to ensure that all voices are heard and accurately represented. And has done so both as an athlete and an organizer behind the scenes. In 2018, she joined the Outdoor Afro Expedition Team to Kilimanjaro, becoming part of the first ever African-American team to climb the mountain. She also spent three years creating the climbing festival Color the Crag with Brothers of Climbing. Brittany is also one of eight founding members of Brown Girls Climb. She has fostered the growth, education, and leadership of women of color and their allies by supporting regional leaders across the country, creating space for meetups, workshops, and events over the last six years. She has now taken on the role of CEO. And this was a very wide-ranging conversation, everything from Brittany's upbringing and her origin story, how she got into climbing, to Brown Girls Climb and how that came to be, and their mission to her time working at the Smithsonian as an educator and some of the lessons that she learned from teaching little kids in a very unique and very cool sounding setting and her first climbing road trip to Bishop and Red Rocks and some of the lessons that she learned and some of the advice that she has for you folks who are thinking of going on your first climbing road trip because that can be an intimidating and scary thing. So anyway, many topics covered, and I'm excited to share this one. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Brittany Levitt. We're cooking. Okay. Yeah, where are you?
1: So I'm currently in my apartment in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Do you work from home full time?
1: Yes, I do. I balance between working here um, and then I also go to like climbing gyms and um, coffee shops. And then I have a few other folks in the city who also work in the climbing industry And so we'll sometimes like meet up and like have a co-working session day, which is super helpful when we're like trying to bounce off ideas or like problem solve. Um, but yeah, I mainly work at home. Um, and like my room is big enough where it's kind of split bedroom. And then I have a side that's like my office. So this is like my office, you know, when you have like the knickknacks on the wall, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so people are like, Oh, what do you do? And like my bookshelf and stuff. So,
0: yeah, that's that's really cool. I think uh, having a home office like that is seems so important for being able to switch modes. That's something I struggle with yeah. in the van is it's my one space, you know, like I'm talk, like the laptop right now is sitting on my bed. I'm using my bed as a standing desk and, uh, and it's fine. I mean, this is kind of my setup, so it helps me get into that work mindset. But um, I imagine having a home office is really helpful for like switching gears. And then when you leave your office, work is done for the day and you can kind of go back to just being Brittany
1: sometimes i do miss i will say that i miss the separation of work life and home um like working from home is super great because you can wake up and you're like you know what i'm just gonna work in bed today or like i'm just gonna you know work on the couch whereas i kind of for me i actually like to create a system of like leaving the house and like working and then once my laptop is closed then i can go back home and like re like center Mm. um and so that's why I'm like really excited for like this new change that I'm going through where like I'm looking for a space where I can actually build out an office and that's gonna be the office corner. So if I do have to work from home, then I can actually like be in this space, walk out and then my bedroom is like my bedroom area and not my work. But yeah. That's yeah, it's it's a vibe for sure. <laughs> Um, I haven't utilized it though in a way that a lot of people utilize working from home where they're like, I'm just going to travel all the time and like work (laughs) like from a friend's place and go climbing. Like I, yeah, I haven't taken advantage of that side of it yet. It's mainly been trying to resettle (laughs) in before going through that motion.
0: Mm -hmm. Can we throw your phone on do not disturb real quick before we press onward?
1: Oh yeah. How do you, how does that happen? You know, it's so interesting. No one ever really texts me until I have to do interview stuff. (laughs) And then my phone starts to blow up and people start calling. I'm like, how do you... Do you
0: have an iPhone?
1: No, I have an Android.
0: Okay, I'm I'm useless then. I can't help you.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. Um, I think I... Turned off the volume or like turned off the, cause it was on vibrate and now okay. it's like, this is sound, this is vibrate and this is nothing. So
0: if it's we, on nothing, we should be, we should be good.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. I think that'll be good. <laughs> Sorry.
1: About that.
0: That's fine. Okay. Let's pick up right where we, right where we left off. So that's really interesting. I, I want to talk to you later in this conversation about your road trip to Bishop in Vegas um, mm-hmm. You wrote this great article about it in Patagonia or on Patagonia Online. So I'm curious, like you seem like you have a, a, a hunger, a, an interest in traveling, doing the car life, van life, tent life thing and, and climbing. Why haven't you taken that leap during, um, during COVID or now that you, you know you have this full time working remotely gig? Is that something that you've thought about? Is it interesting to you? Is it too hard to balance your work with that kind of lifestyle? Yeah. Why haven't you taken that, that step or that leap? Not to say you should, I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really grand question. And like maybe at one point in my life where I'm able to be hybrid, where like some people do have like, um, a space and then they have a van that they do like their van life during the weekend type of thing, or maybe it will go for a month. Um, but for me personally, like I love it. I love, I could live the simple life, but I also realized because of the way that I work and how I work within community, I want to be with the communities that I'm working with, if that makes sense. So, you know, I use this a grand example, like van life. I also use this example as like, why haven't I moved to Colorado if I'm running a climbing organization or why have I moved to like West Coast because I'm an outdoors person and like in reality, For me, it's like, I still want to be surrounded by community, by culture, by seeing, by being in a space where I feel good and brave and welcome. And like, I know many people like black and indigenous van life people who are just doing it for me, I, it's, I don't know, I had this weird feeling of like, It's like complex, like I would feel very just out of the loop of what's happening in our communities and like not being able to support in the ways that I want to. Like I'm I'm very more on the grounds than a digital supporter. And so for me, during like quarantine, like a lot of people did transition doing like van life, but I was living in Maryland and growing up in DC area. So I was actually doing a lot of work on the grounds during the uprising and doing a lot of mutual aid work and support work. And so that also gave me a new light of like, I don't want to be able to, I don't want to be too far away when things are happening because I want to be able to be a resource that is needed. Um, and I feel like if I end up being in a space of remoteness, that it would be more complicated to doing so and not saying that I wouldn't want to, um, I think being able to like have an experience of going on the road for like a month or so um, to like just be able to be is like a beautiful experience. And I did get to do that for a couple weeks in um, a few years, like 2019. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's a lot of like, I want to be still within the community. And then I also am like doing a thing where I'm trying to showcase how, how can you be part of an industry without having to, go through these giant hoops where oftentimes people are like, oh, well, I want to be a climber and I want to be a mountaineer and I want to do all this stuff. That means I have to like invest in moving to these areas versus saying like, actually, I want to still showcase this to my community here. And so, yeah, so I'm taking that challenge of like still being in New York City, but still being able to climb and like go and do these things. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I have a dream. My my dream world eventually is like once I do move maybe not living in the city city as much, but maybe on the outskirts of the city. I want to have land. I want to have like a farm. I'm a gardener through and through. <laughs> um and then being able to have like a van or something that I could travel throughout and like be able to not only travel throughout and like going to remote places, but being able to travel and connect with other communities that I'm working with um and being able to like build and support in that way so that is a vision um but yeah van life it's yeah there's also like multiple different layers of safety that I think about when it comes to van life where I'm like I even had the feelings when I did my road trip where I just don't want it's hard to like navigate um yeah it's it's a. Uh, it's something I thought about, something I haven't invested in, but it, it will happen in a way where it will make sense for me, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it, do- it does. Everything you're saying makes makes perfect sense. I mean, to kind of immerse yourself in a traveling, climbing, full-time van life sort of situation in in the United States, at least, is basically to remove yourself from the communities that you're trying to serve. And then, yeah, like the the safety thing, I totally get that. I mean, I had this really, you know, the last few years for me, of course, have been kind of unpacking these layers of, of my own advantages and privilege and starting to understand those more deeply. And I had a real aha moment when I was telling a friend of mine, um, it was a woman that I was camping with or something, and I realized that I often forget to lock my van at night. Like I'm sleeping in my van, maybe even at a rest stop or, you know, at some climbing area or something. And... I'm better at it now, but like there's been so many times where I just go to sleep and I forget to lock my van and she would never do that. Right. Cause she, it's, it's so much less safe for her. She's thinking about that all the time. And I'm lucky to not have that kind of fear and sense of, of potential danger looming over me when I travel in the van. Cause I'm a, I'm a guy, you know, um, I'm sure there's layers and layers of that um but, but so yeah everything that you're you're saying makes sense and i love your vision i love the vision for the 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 farm and the garden and the weekend <clears throat> or short term short term trip van parked in the in the parking lot there in the driveway it's great so you yeah, know, i love it
1: rooting for part time van life
0: <laughs> i want to uh, i want to ask about your climbing origins because it'd be very easy to talk to you again for an hour or two and not talk about your climbing because you're doing so many other things. Um, so let's start with it. I want to I want to kick it off and hear about that um, from the get go here and make sure we cover it. How did you first become interested in climbing? Was it rock climbing first? Was it mountain climbing first? I, I think it's great that you do you do both and seem interested in both. Yeah. How did you become How did you first become interested in in climbing?
1: Yeah. Um. So I began to be interested in climbing. Oh, like. 2008, um, my friend's college, they had a rock climbing gym, like a little rock climbing wall and like their gym. And that's where we go and hang out. So that was kind of like our Friday night thing. And like this really small town in Maryland, Salisbury, Maryland. And so I was introduced to to it indoors in a sense. Um, but I wasn't thinking too much of like how elaborate and deep this like sport is, um, and so i was thinking about yeah i was just hanging out with friends um and then after a while we started going outside and i started to learn more about like the steps of like oh wow there's like this whole process of like setting up an anchor system to just do a top rope like we were we were rope climbers like bouldering i didn't really learn about until maybe like five or three years down the road but like at the time i knew about rope climbing and like kind of the process of like, how do you set up a system and things like that at the time I still had no idea. It was always my friends doing it. And so I would just be the person that would come along and like join for the ride. But yeah, I was just very lucky to have friends who were already into the outdoors. These were my crew of friends who I actually um, did rope climbing or not rope climbing, but also like backpacking with. So they kind of, we all did like the Appalachian trail sections of the Appalachian trail together. And so we already into like, the outdoors. And then we would always be like, okay, what's next? And someone would bring up another idea. So climbing was like the next thing to kind of get into. Uh, and so, yeah, for a while, I was that person. There's, I have a photo that I often use in presentations where it's just me wearing like a pair of Nikes and like, uh- <laughs> just like gym shorts and like one of those very old school, like seatbelt harnesses, just like rainbowing on the wall. Like, and I use that as an example of like, this is where I've started and this is where I'm at now, (laughs) type of thing. And I don't know, it was like, obviously I was the only, at the time, the only black person that I knew who was a climber, Um, obviously that's so not the case, but I was immersed in an environment where like all my friends were white. Um, my household was white. And so that's kind of like all that I knew. And like, in my mind connected climbing to was like, oh yeah, this is a white person sport. Who else does climbing? Um, But also that changed (laughs) years down the road. And, um, yeah, I also started to learn how like inaccessible this sport was because at the time I was going to school and working like two jobs. And, um, when I moved to Baltimore, I, that's where I discovered like the climbing gym. And so my friends were working at a climbing gym. Um, at the time it was called earth tracks. Now it's movement. Um, in Baltimore and they would get me in for free because I couldn't even afford a day pass and they would get me climbing shoes from the lost and found because no one claimed them. And mm. so that's how I slowly started to get my gear. It wasn't that way. Like everything was always used or going to like a gear shop and getting resold shoes and, um, yeah, I didn't even understand the whole process of, like, mountaineering. Didn't understand the process that there's so many different styles of climbing until maybe, like, 2014, 2015, when I was starting to, like, talk to more people about climbing, and then my friends were starting to advance in their skills. So it wasn't no longer top roping. I was like, oh, now we're going to go out and, like, sport climb. And, like, my mind, I was like, what is that? <laughs> what do you mean there's, like, a whole other way of, like, going up the wall and yeah, I still was just kind of learning those skills, but also not being able to access the ability to gain my own skills. So for a while I stuck with just being a top roper because that was going to be the most easiest and accessible way for me to like be a part of this sport. Um, but also it was still like in a frustrating space because I felt like I was, I'm not like the only one, but I wasn't so much seeing as much representation of like black and brown other climbers in the gym space or just overall like when folks are talking about famous climbers i do like said famous climbers but not as many like black and brown famous climbers um until like connecting with other people and like being part of organizations like outdoor afro um and then like kind of this is the start of like where Broncos climb kind of came to be
0: outdoor afro is such a Good name, by the way. I I almost commented on that earlier. I just, I love that name so much. It's so great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a really great organization that was started by Rue Map in Oakland, California. And, you know, she started it as a simple blog in like 2015. And now it's grown to this, national organization that really supports and celebrates black joy in the outdoors and also captivating black history in the outdoors Mm. um which is really important in the ways like navigating um finding joy in the outdoors for me personally
0: yeah i love it that's awesome you um you touched on something interesting there i wanted to Talk a little bit about your upbringing in your home life, and you you mentioned that you were you know starting to climb and surrounded by white friends and had grown up in a white household. And I imagine that people listening might you know have perked up at that or raised an eyebrow at that, like, "Oh, that's interesting." And I think your home life, your family dynamic, is fascinating on so many different levels. Um, for people that don't know. You were adopted, you have white parents, you have many, many, many siblings. And the thing that I think fascinates me most about it is the age ranges of your siblings. I think you told me that you have siblings ranging from, what was it, like 27 to 62 or something like that? Is that right?
1: Yeah, in those age bracket age range, yeah.
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm fascinated to hear about this. Um, I have a few questions for you. So in, in what ways, let's start with this one. In what ways was growing up in such a unique family environment uh, helpful in developing you into the person you are today? I want to hear about what was helpful about it and then maybe what was challenging about it and how you think about it now, years later. Yeah, definitely. I
1: think there's definitely levels That were helpful in a sense of accessibility. Um, So, I think about like in the environment that I grew up in, I have always been exposed to nature since I was a child. My parents, my mom grew up like in a farm upstate New York. My dad grew up along the ocean side in like Massachusetts. And so, we were always immersed in being outside. Um, And that is something that helped me navigate into the world that I'm in today like I was a Girl Scout I um because the Girl Scouts would meet at my dad's church so I'd be able to connect with them um they taught me the ways of like going on nature walks we were in DC so there's a lot of parks and we spend time having picnics and my family really taught me the ways of like there's so much different levels of enjoying the outdoors and it's not always just going into the you know arctic or reputable it's like no it's like riding your bike around like the pond or like going to picnics or going to go through the cherry blossoms in dc and so kind of creating that space of like seeing the opportunities was something that was definitely accessible for me in the family that i grew up in um in an environment that was very like yeah you know kind of go with your flow and do whatever you want to do type of thing but also there's like a little bit of setback with that Um, And so, yeah, I think that was kind of something that I recognized that was like a a definitely a a bigger point of view of like, oh, yeah, I've always been able to have accessibility to the outdoors. um, And now I'm able to talk about it um, in a way to make it more accessible for other folks, too.
0: Yeah, you're able to like pay that forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. What about challenging? I remember you, you've you written about this. We've talked about it a little bit, but um, you've talked a lot about unmasking, the process of unmasking in your adult life.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying to block out the sound. I don't know if you can hear the small talk in the background.
0: Oh, no, it's okay. Okay
1: okay cool thank you (laughs) thanks for
0: i I was like where is she going
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so therefore i was just like i'm trying to block up the small talk so you can't hear um yeah so the unmasking um yeah there's so many different layers with adoption like adoption in general is a trauma experience in a sense where people are not people don't like often view it in that way but it is because you're separating a child whether it's from like birth or whether it's three months, years, whatever, from the original space of home and connection to be placed into another environment that is not theirs, though they grow into understanding and adapting. It's still a very traumatic experience. And as you get older, you start to learn and like go through the understanding of, oh, wow, these are things that I was never actually exposed to or taught about. So a big thing for me is like, though I was exposed to understanding like my culture and blackness, there was also like limitations of what my family could actually talk about, because my family not only are white, but also there are so many various uh, political backgrounds that (laughs) there are a lot of things that they were, they would not discuss, Mm. which for me, I had to learn either on my own or through community. now i'm able to like have a more voice around it so that was definitely something that it was a harder upbringing to navigate so a a great example like when everyone was having kind of like the big um awakening during 2020 in quarantine a lot of folks had the energy to like educate people online where like i was doing that and then i was quickly getting burned out because i was also educating my own family mm. of understanding like oh yes these are all the things that i've all, always navigated these are simple things that like i've had conversations with that you didn't understand like a grand example going to thanksgiving to my sister's house and my sister lives in a very nice neighborhood and being pulled over because you know having to be like getting like drilled of like where are you going what's the address blah 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 where i'm like i'm going here 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 and like announcing that it happened and then being like oh you know that happens, type of thing, where it's mm. like, no, in my mind, I was like, oh, I guess that is happening, and in my mind, I was like, no, that's not, that's just,
0: not okay. It's, yeah,
1: profile, yeah, and so these are a lot of things that over time, being able to discuss and like break down, and then also recognize this is something that a lot of adoptees, especially transracial adoptees, do navigate is like learning that they may not get exposed to a lot of understanding their cultural backgrounds. So understanding like the injustice that also happens um, until later in life. And so it's good to see that there are more folks who, who navigate the adoption world who are taking that time, but it's still a very like complex issue that, even I don't have all like the knowledge to share, like uh, here are the tips to do adoption, right? Because there is real, there's a lot of that. This goes into that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's something that I navigate, still navigate. And, um, yeah, I mean, I talk about it a little bit more, with like my parents, well, with my mom, um, and like recognizing, like there was an incident, well, not incident, but, um, I was telling her that I'm gonna go because she was she does check-ins. I'm like, oh, what's your next speaking engagement? Where are you gonna go next? And I was like, oh, well, I'm actually gonna go speak at Yale, which I'm really super stoked about. And Hell she's yeah. like, yeah, like, what are you gonna be talking about? I was like, oh, well, I'm talking about like the understanding, connection on the outdoors and like the disparities of connection in the outdoors, especially when it comes to Black um, communities. And then that kind of sparked her conversation. It's like, oh yeah, I just learned that did you know there's like a disproportion of like black folks who may not understand like, or connect to swimming. And I was like, I was on, I was in a bodega on a speakerphone. And then I was like, and you know, my mom is very upstate New York old. So like the way that she may say things in which I get are not appropriate. So I was like, I you, just, so you know, you're on speakerphone. So I know what you're going to say, but I, I'm going to take you on speakerphone. And like, her understanding and recognizing like oh wow there's like this line of understanding why like there's so many black folks who may have a weird connection to the waterways and that's because it's a passed down um trauma of stories but also recognizing like the harm that other like folks have caused us using water while a lot of people don't learn how to swim there's the inaccessibility of public pools to learn how to swim there's like a whole laundry list of why but there's also the caveat of like but there are people who do swim, like swimming is part of our connection to, you know, the environment. And so it's not just like, it is one thing, but it's also, we have to look at like the light and like also what What are some of the things that are coming out of this? And so I tried to explain that to her, like <laughs> learning, doing this all on learning now um, and kind of like, well, I was like, yeah, this is kind of like the work that I do. It's like, I also showcase like, How do you see this but then also how do you recognize that there are people who've been like trying to advocate for this for generations Mm. and maybe their voices aren't like posted in magazines but they are making that slight change and stuff so yeah it's like a lot of like teaching about what's going on um and then also giving space and boundaries because of the yeah political environments that we're in because i do have family like who don't um, understand and navigate in that, the political world that, um, uh, aligns with me or like my body or my mm. my own community. And so like, it gets like a lot of complication. but yeah, I feel like that is something that though is a hard part of it, but also recognizing, I always try to recognize it, like the light and accessibility that, um, I'm able to do a lot of the things that I'm doing now because I was in that environment mm. and
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it must be interesting to think about like where, what, what am I trying to say? Like when it's worth it, you know, cause it all, it's so, it's so unfair that it always gets put on you to put in that emotional work and that emotional labor. And, you know, sounds like your mom might be open to it and maybe you're able to help shift her thinking and um, open her up to a different way of thinking. Um, and then it sounds like with some of your other family members, maybe it's just not worth it. You know, it's 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 an interesting mm-hmm. thought experiment to know like where those lines are. I think that's true in any family dynamic. It's just like, you know, what, what conversations or debates or... Are worth having, and when do you just push it all aside and say, like, "Hey, I love you. We disagree on some things, but you know, it's it's not worth um, trying to trying to push up against this kind of brick wall, so to speak, or something like that." I don't know. Is it does that feel? Are you, Are you always kind of thinking about that, like when it's worth it, when it's not? Because you have to protect protect your own energy. Yeah,
1: it's a lot about protecting my own energy and like. I, I go in that mindset with even society of like, I don't know, it's kind of like when people like to do online arguing, it's like, is it actually worth it to argue with someone who really just wants to hear themselves talk because they're mm. hiding behind a keyboard? Or is it like, or are you actually making a point of view change because this person's actually stepping back and listening? And like, I think with my, sim- like, because the age range is so vastly different we are in layers of like boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z.
0: That's fascinating. (laughs) That's so interesting to me.
1: That that line of conversation of like, okay, is it even worth it? No, because they actually don't understand. But also I will say there's been points where I said it's not worth it. And then they come back and realize, oh, wow. Like what we thought as a boomer growing up, like getting a house, buying a car and all that since, was simple and realizing oh yeah in your generation it's pretty complicated slash probably impossible and i'm like yeah yeah, Mm. i I said this to you multiple times but okay i'm glad that you finally figured it out i don't know who told you this but if it finally clicked great yeah Uh, (laughs) and so yeah and so and i think that's something that i've been doing a little bit is just giving space and letting people to like like sit in it a little bit more, um, especially like an example is like my sister who there was an evening I was still teaching and she called me and like we were discussing, like she recognized like, Oh wow. Like police brutality. It's not just like black men that are dying, but it's also like black trans folks and women and all of these things. And I was like, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> like it's You're sitting
0: not. there going, duh, but, it's, yeah. but yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a real, uh, realization for her, for your sister. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have black siblings? You have, you have a lot of siblings, right? You have six siblings.
1: Yeah. I have one, um, black sibling. He's my little brother. Um, but yeah, he also goes through the energy wave of like, it's, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. And, mm. um, yeah. But yeah, there's
0: only, yeah, there's two of us, but we also, he lives in um, Texas, but. Do you have any, um, I'm just imagining you guys all at Thanksgiving, um, you know, some of your siblings are in their 60s. Do you have any funny stories about your family? I'm putting you on the spot so we can, we can pass on this question if nothing comes to mind, but.
1: No, I mean, like, yes. For sure. I mean, holidays were really nice as a kid, for sure. <laughs> I, it to <laughs> I was like trying to think of a specific, but, um, uh, I think like during the holidays, like a big thing was when my dad was around, um, we would have recitals <laughs> cause my dad was a violinist Okay, and cool. I was a violinist as well. And so we would like, and my little brother also did lessons, but I think I was the one who stuck with it the, the longest. Uh, we would have recitals, um, and, uh, that was always a thing of having to perform in front of the family.
0: Do you still play at all?
1: I wish, um, it's part of, you know, a lot of the things that I wish I continued doing, but work life takes over. Like yeah. I, I was, a. I wish I stuck with violin because I find string instruments beautiful and I have my dad's cello. Um
0: oh, I love the cello.
1: It's the cello is just it's just a such a beautiful and powerful instrument and like a lot of like whether it's combined with another instrument or like just on its own it just has this this bellowing power that is just a vibe like I can talk about music all day long like, <laughs> could just, you do talk about climbing but you can give me all the track of music um, but I have a guitar um, I have two. I have an acoustic guitar that my dad actually bought me because I told them, I was like, I don't think I'm into violin anymore, but I'm really interested in learning the guitar. Like, would, would that be a thing? And so my dad for Christmas got me a guitar, um, and I played for a really long time and then I got an electric guitar and played for a little bit. And then I kind of haven't played, played in like years. So I feel like I'm really, really rusty, but Mm. I want to get back into it because, I love music and i love playing and it's like such a grand way to like release and connect with art but also i tell people all the time like there's a beauty power of like the outdoors specifically also in climbing where art and music and community combined and like i don't think it gets like talked about as much that it should Hmm. um and i've been able to do so in many ways like we held a climbing festival where we had music and like art combined. And so like really encapsulating that part of it versus just always thinking about the, the hard sends and like mm. the remote places type of thing. Um, yeah. but
0: Yeah, it, it is amazing. I can't count the number of times it's happened where I know somebody is a climber for, you know, days or weeks or months or even years and then eventually find out that they're like this incredible artist, you know, or musician, or both, or whatever. Like, there's, it's it is so common that climbers, um, you know, with their attention to detail and their interest in in things, um, are are really good at at these other things that you just don't even hear about. And some of my favorite climbing trips, like I'm thinking about um, a trip to Ten Sleep, where the climbing was amazing and the you know the group dynamics were amazing, but then. We would have a jam session like every single night in the pavilion you know there was this guy there that was like a jazz teacher and amazing at the piano and i would sing and play guitar and friends would sing and play and it's just it's just the best it's it's so great yeah
1: i love that yeah get me around a campfire and if someone's playing guitar i'm like not the greatest singer in the world but i will fall out like I'll belt out, I'll vibe out. I'll kind of make sure that I'm in harmony. Like it's just like such a grand feeling of being able to bring that like collectiveness together. Yeah, I love it
0: so much. That's awesome. I uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I studied music in college. I did a bachelor of arts in music. Um, nice. And I'm, I'm similarly rusty. I don't play very often anymore, but hopefully we get to meet someday and we can ah. sit around a campfire and, and play and sing something. That'd be so much fun. Do you have a go-to so campfire nice. song? <laughs> or artist. Or...
1: Um, I I don't um I <laughs> that's such a grand question. I never even thought about it. And normally it's like someone has like a songbook or something, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is grand. Um the last okay, the last <laughs> campfire that I did and someone was singing, they actually was singing a lot of like alternative and like emo, which I like no too many and so that was a vibe and i was like this is like my thing like i also love karaoke (laughs) so that's also my go-to is like i will sing all like alternative rock all the emo all of like (laughs) post-punk songs and so you can find the find a way to turn those into like nice campfire songs (laughs) that's
0: great i like that it's a great crossover (laughs) nice okay um where should we go next should we talk about the Smithsonian your in your background as an educator there should we talk about your yeah. road trip okay let's talk about the Smithsonian a little bit you talked about being a preschool teacher a couple times already is that what you mean when you talk about that was that at the Smithsonian how did you mm-hmm. get yeah how did you get involved with that um, and I imagine the kids are so funny I, I think that kids have such um, <laughs> intuition and wisdom and they just have a way of cutting right through the bullshit and saying the thing. And I, I would just love to hear if you have any favorite pieces of wisdom you've learned from any of these two or three year olds that you've taught, but um, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. How did you get involved with teaching at the Smithsonian?
1: Yeah. Okay. So before even getting into the teaching, I'll, I'll like jump back a few. Like I've always wanted to be an educator and i grew up in maryland and dc and that was the thing my dad would do we, on the weekends we'd go to the smithsonian and go to all the museums and obviously natural history is like one of my favorites and just being immersed like i love dinosaurs as well and so for a while i was trying to figure out like how do people like work in like the Natural History Museum. And like i learned there's many different levels. Obviously you can be someone who has like a top degree and like runs like a whole like department or you can be a volunteer. And so I learned that it could be a volunteer. And so I actually took a couple of classes and I became a certified paleobiologist. So I could be a volunteer at the Smithsonian. And so what that meant was I got to um, help create cast moldings of fossils. So like anytime oh, cool. you go into the museum, um, the full-scale triceratops, I helped um do the cast molding for that. I also got to work in the photo lab for a while. So I helped them like um digitalize some of their film to create a like a digital library of like all the work. So I got to see what the natural history museum looked like when it was in the castle to like the first year that they did a redoing of the Dino Hall to like what it looks like now. And in between those times, I kept seeing like kids coming in and out of a space. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. Like I said, they're doing behind the scene thing. And then I learned that like, no, there's actually a preschool here. It's been here for about like, at the time, maybe like 25 years. And I was like, the Smithsonian has a preschool. They're like, yeah, like not only do they get to utilize like the Natural History Museum, but they go to all of the museums along the mall. And I was like, that is really cool. Um, So then, I was being an associate or like a um, working at like a preschool in Maryland, but not like being a teacher, but just like helping out part time, like in the classroom. And I applied. I was like, well, they have an opening. I'm just going to apply. And I did. And I, for a while, was considered a float. So I worked, I went from working with six year olds <laughs> all the way down to working with toddlers, like folks who are still nonverbal to then being placed into a classroom so my classroom was two to three year olds i love that and, you called them
0: folks the toddlers that's perfect that's so funny they're
1: also humans they're yeah they're <laughs>
0: non-verbal and, folks so, little toddlers <laughs>
1: um and yeah from there i kind of that's where i was able to kind of really immerse in understanding the philosophy of that school and so the biggest thing was like teaching off a of sense of wonder, exploration, understanding, like a little bit of Montessori pedagogy in mixed into the classroom. And like, in the in sense, that's like my dream philosophy when it comes to education, where it's a space where it's not us being like, okay, here's our set monthly calendar of all the things we're going to learn. It's like, actually, what do you want to learn? Let's create a web and like, let's sit down and let's pinpoint what you want to learn. So, creating things from like having a kid say, let's learn about bioluminescence to let's learn about blue and being like, okay, we can come up with a creative lesson around blue. So we'll talk about the ocean. We'll talk about like how certain artists had like a blue period. And like, we would go see a Picasso and like really like elaborate on this simple way of like teaching, but then also using objects that are surrounded in all the museums. Um, And it was something like er early education, number one is, An amazing level of education that also still to this day looks down upon we don't get that we don't get paid or like recognized like the work we're we are the foundation of how kids are set up when they're going into elementary and beyond and so a lot of the work that we're doing is a lot of creating the social emotional understanding their fine motor we're also catching a lot of where the child may not be developing in a way that they should but now we can catch it and give them the support that they need so that when they go into a different school they will not feel not even behind but they know they have a little bit of a support system um and so that was something that i did really appreciate about working there and yeah it was just really cool to be able to use the classroom like all the museums as part of our classroom so like when we would do space topics you know we would make space like i did a quite we did quite a few cool things so example we did space and we got to make astronaut hats and we actually went to air and space museum and we looked at an astronaut suit and we got to look at moon rocks and so being able to actually see the objects first like in in person um versus just like always here's a picture, um, now we're going to make hats and now we're going to pretend, which we still got to do, but also we got to go and see these objects in person. I think really helped like not only the kids, but also us really engaged in the way of learning. Um, I think, yeah, there. I have so many key key moments of just education where I, I still have a passion for it, like still do, but taking a nice break from it. Um, and I will say, I guess you asked like a favorite moment. There's like a lot of favorite moments.
0: <laughs> you don't have to pick the favorite. Just, just anything that pops out would be great to hear. Yes. That sounds okay. so fun, by the way, like being immersed in that. I mean, for you, like being in that environment and being able to like, oh, you're interested in space. Let's pop over to the space museum and look at this astronaut mm-hmm. suit. I mean, that that just sounds like a blast.
1: And we would do it until they would get bored that's the best thing so we could be on a topic for a good month and that's like breaking it down of like everything or we could be on topic for a week and everyone's bored and we're like okay we'll move on um so a big thing was like we wouldn't just focus on the one two threes and shapes because all of that's just naturally will come to and so it Mm. did um but one of our favorite one of my favorite memories um of a lesson that we did was um we spent a long long time talking about music And then we broke down different genres of music and then we broke down to musical theater so we talked about the different ways of musical theater so we talked about how does someone become a makeup artist what is backstage how do you um build out a script costume so we spent like weeks on breaking all of that down we went to the national theater so the kids got to go behind the scenes to see what it's like to navigate going through a museum to being on the stage and this is a stage where a lot of broadway shows will do a start out so like hate um Town started out like mean girls will do like a show running at this theater and then they'll, oh, they'll go to broadway mm. uh, so they got to go and like and we did to get to go and like dance on stage and be and so then at the end of the year we always do like a showcase of something and so one of our showcases was we put on our play so this year that class was obsessed with this book called abby yo-yo which was written by pete Seeger, was also featured on reading rainbow and they loved they loved that book so much that they recited all the words. We would watch the Reading Rainbow version of it as well. So they also got to understand who Lavar Burton was. And then they learned how to, how do you build a set? So during our art classes, they built their whole set. They built all their <laughs> like costumes. They built, they painted their background. And then we performed this, the whole book for their parents. It was like this whole thing, which was really, really cool. But the best part of this year was That um, LeVar Burton came to the African American History Museum because they were doing a talk around a children's book that was coming out and just like understanding the power of like reading children's books and also seeing yourselves in children's books. And so I actually got to meet him, which was like, I mean, top of the line. If you need to meet like your like childhood like people, like, you know, that is a top one. And I got to share him that story of like how we watched like reading rainbow constantly in that version and like how they love abby yo-yo and i think like that's probably one of my favorite ever education moments is being able to not only immerse them into this world of musical theater but then also being able to share that story to the person that they were able to kind of like also connect with from like a digital Standing, yeah that was yeah there's so many more but i think that was like my one of my top moments oh so um, cool yeah i even have a picture with him online <laughs> i think i wrote about that because i was just like this is like the top moment of my life i don't need to meet anyone else <laughs> 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 Like
0: <laughs> president no i'm good
1: <laughs> no nah, i mean no no um but i think what i can take away from that space though is understanding so much patience um You're working with 12 little ones who all have their own identities, emotions, feelings, words, no words, and having the patience of understanding what is someone's needs is key. Hmm. Because now that I work more with adults, like I have that patience with adults a little bit more because I understand like, okay, this is maybe something that they might not have had when they're younger. So I can step back and create a space of like, I'm going to kind of (laughs) be, what are the questions that I need to get to where we can come to a point, um, understanding empathy. Um, I think that being an early educator was a key thing. Um, but then also being able to, to like watch people, I think watch, yeah, watch them find their voice and stand up for their own ground and like being able to teach that also into like teens and adults as well. That's cool. So um we talked about advocacy like our classroom we talked about everything we talked about we were in dc so we're not going to be like lighthearted of like oh yeah there's people marching in the streets they just like to do that it's like no this is why they're marching in the streets. this is like a good reason why they're marching in the street this is maybe a bad reason why they're marching in the streets these are the people that we don't really want to like connect with these are the people we do want to connect with and like actually breaking it down because in reality kids can kids can understand everything. Yeah, it's just they're like so smart. you break it down into the language for them to really grasp, grasp hold. And so um, during quarantine times, I actually started working with the older kids and working with six-year-olds. And so we did a lot of conversations around like protesting and like photography and understanding like where we are at in times. And so being able to have like those deeper um, conversations was also really powerful um, in the work that I did was able to do Mm. I also talked a lot about climbing oh that's cool yeah like intertwining with them so there's these giant little boulders that were outside of our museum and so when we did a lesson around climbing we worked on like what does bouldering look like and understanding how do you cheer on someone how do you give that like support to someone and so kind of intertwining that idea of supporting a fellow friend where like in climbing we do that when we're bouldering we're supporting someone you know making sure that they fall that they're going to fall safely and so we kind of intertwine that into like that but then also supporting a friend when they were feeling down or when something happens on the playground and so yeah that's like a good example of like the two worlds combining
0: worlds collide yeah (sighs) I love that. How, um, how does that fit into your life now? Do you still do any work with the Smithsonian or is that a a past chapter at this point? Have you moved on?
1: Um, I kind of do with it right now with everything going on, it's there's projects that I have going, but I've are put on pause just because our world is happening. But I specifically now kind of work with the African American history culture. Um, and Right now we are working on like, a outline of creating a program around connecting black history in the Maryland, Virginia and DC area with pinpoint spots and like objects in the museum. Um, I, I've kind of like taken like a little bit of space of like education. Um, but I do try to do it in other ways where it's like, I'm prepping to start doing story time again in our community garden and like intertwining the lessons and like ways that we connect with like nature and the ground um, and so kind of taking some of the tools that I've learned of the Smithsonian and bringing it into like a community space but yeah my my connection with the Smithsonian is a little bit on the lower end which is I'm okay with because uh, yeah I have a lot <laughs> I have a lot going on so <laughs> um
0: yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you this later, more directly connected to Brown Girls Climb and how uh, you guys as an organization decide what you take on. But I'll ask you this personally, Brittany, how do you decide what to say yes to? Um, it's, it seems like you do so many different things. And I'm sure you get way more requests than you can possibly uh, keep up with. Um, you know, you, you expend a lot of emotional energy with all of these things that you do. How do you decide what to say yes to and where to put that energy? Yeah,
1: that's like a really grand question. Um, I
0: love that you keep calling my questions grand, by the way, that makes me feel really good. I, no one's, no one else has ever done that. The word grand feels, oh, really? yeah, it's just like, oh, cool. That's a grand question. That's great.
1: <laughs> but they are really grand questions. Um, for me, it. I will say it took me a while to learn that you don't have to say yes to everything. I think for a while in the beginning of the work that I used to do, I said yes to a lot because I felt like I need to build like a resume or like, like add this on because it seems really important. But then, but now I'm very mindful, especially when it comes to like conversations or interviews. And my thing is like, how does this actually support the work that I'm doing? How, what am I doing going to actually support the community that I'm working with? And this is something that I learned from, like, a mentor that I uh, I met through working with Dr. Afro, because at the time, as being a leader, I would get a lot of requests for things, and people would be like, oh, yeah, you could say no to that. And then my mind was like, why should I say no to this? It's like, is this actually serving their community, or is it mainly for them? Is this going to give them more of a spotlight, like, that they have you there, or... Are they giving you a space to take that spotlight? So that way you can talk about the work that you're doing and you can really spotlight your community. So that's why I'm becoming a little bit more mindful of programs or conversations that I choose. Um, and yeah, and like allowing no to be in my vocabulary. Um, and sometimes there are things I have honorariums where I'm like, oh, but this has an honorarium. But in reality, it's like, it's if it doesn't really fit what i'm doing then i'm going to pass on and maybe pass it on to someone else who has more of a connection into like that said work Mm. um but yeah i think the last year or so i've kind of slowed down and taken like i've taken on bigger projects um in a sense that makes sense so like an example right now i'm consulting with yosemite national park because we're doing a climbing festival called united in yosemite and so that's a bigger project. That's a long standing project that I said yes to. Cause I'm like, this is something that a values in the work that I do with front kind also community work. And I, and I'm not in the front facing, I get to work behind the, behind the scenes to get it kind of rolling um, because of the background of festival building that I have. And so, yeah, it's yeah. I just try to be mindful. I sometimes, I'm also a big dreamer. That's my other issue, though.
0: You're a big dreamer? Is that what you dream said?
1: Big. Yeah, okay. I dream big and That's I have great. ideas. And it's great, yeah, but I don't have the time to
0: these
1: grand ideas yeah. that I get. So the big thing <laughs> I'm trying kind to of work on now is, like, if I have an idea, sure, I can write it down, but I try to pass it on to someone else. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have this idea. I feel like you'd be probably the best fit to take lead on this. Here's like the vision, but go take it on and and now it's your type of thing. Mm. Um, because yeah, I don't have that much time in the day, and I also have to try to take time for myself. And um, yeah, so oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the look, on, look on your face, <laughs> like. <laughs> how how yeah. do I do all these <laughs> things? No, I, I I think this is a really good, this is as good a lead-in as any to Brown Girls Climb. Um, I actually don't know the answer to this question. I know that you are now the CEO and I know that you are one of the founders, but what was the grand vision or the the grand dream that you had or that someone had for Brown Girls Climb? Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, so originally Brown Girls Climb started Um, it was just like an IG account, um, that my friend Betty Lebowitz, um, started because she was trying to find more women of color in the climbing space. And specifically at the time she was in DC, um, and she was trying to find more women of color, um, in the climbing space in DC as well. And so it was just a space to like share out, highlight like other community, climbers in not only DC but across the country. And from there we um, met in person um, at a like a panel together. And she knew me in a sense from the work that I've done with like outdoor afro. And at the time I was like a guide with REI. And so she knew I was already like in that space and wanted to see like what is what does a meetup look like. So we held our first like outdoor meetup. It was just me, her and one other person at this bouldering area in maryland um and yeah it was like it was super fun um it was also my first time bouldering outside because i was a rope person and we kind of was like okay well this is a thing that could happen of like hosting meetups what does that look like and so at the time betty was already like talking to other kind of community leaders across the country which was like kind of how our national team was formed so she was talking to people in like colorado which was like Montserrat and um Stella and another person named seisha that lived in colorado like okay you all are interested how could we start m- doing meetups in colorado and then she met up with a person named jael that lived in Cal- uh, california and another person named laura who lived in massachusetts and so um and then a few other folks um grace who also was in California. And so we kind of created like the national team of like, we're all national leaders in other capacities as well. Cause we all um, were part of like Latino outdoors, or we were also like creating like own organizations. And so coming together in that space and like being able to start out, like meetups in our areas. Um, we had our first kind of like leadership training together where we all came to Colorado and we all climbed, we all tried to build out like, what is the vision that we see for this space? uh to come and at the time we didn't know how fast it was going to grow like within the six years it has grown super super fast and a lot of it was to do with we were very grassroots we were like still building on a mission and vision um still building out what do values look like still building out how do we navigate partnerships with brands and gyms how do we navigate working with communities and making sure that we're also creating a space of accountability within our communities how do we understand like um, the support that we are creating with like indigenous communities and like indigenous communities not just like in the United States but also kind of across the world and so it started to become all these layers and like recognizing too like it's not only just yes it's about climbing and women of color but it's also about storytelling and we we're also recognizing too as we were growing like we should be like collecting these stories of the women who have been climbing and being mountaineers before us because they're not getting that light that should be deserved like now there's a lot of folks who are getting that light that they deserve but at the time the, you know very few people knew who would like emily taylor was or chelsea griffey or savina dannenberg like these were people who were first centers like and i these are just examples of like um, black women who were first centers on everest to climbing the nose in Yose- uh, yosemite and so um creating a space to also making sure that we can encapsulate like our folks before us and the folks that are like making change now where we see like folks like adeline who's like the route setter that's in new york city and like um genevieve who's like a guide and like athlete so seeing the folks who are now and then also creating that space who are like going to be in the future surpass us Mm -hmm. and so it kind of creates this giant (laughs) tree of multi-layers of like this is what brown girl climb is we want to create a space for mentorship we want to see our community to grow and flourish in their ways of climbing whether it is gym climbing whether it is they want to be guides whether they want to be athletes we want to see the change in the climbing industry so that is talking with brands and national organizations and also working with these organizations so like an example we were able to work with the access fund um to do a project called policies and pancakes so teaching people around the policies when it comes to um climbing areas and like how do you start these conversations like what are those steps what does that look like um to also creating projects and or events where we're bringing the community together so we were able to create a climbing festival for three years with brothers of climbing called color of the crag which um at our last color of the crag we had what over 400 folks from not only just nationally but also globally and so creating these spaces of like connection of community um and to like creating a space for folks to connect so we have a bgc app where folks are able to focus on connecting in a space of a little bit more welcoming versus like always having a facebook group chat to also supporting our own community when it comes to their, um, businesses. So that's why we started the BDC marketplace to create a diverse directory of black and queer veteran, um, adaptive gear. And people can have a more accessible space to like, look these things up. Cause they want to shop more in a accessible way. So in a sense, you know, an IG account that started six years has blown up into this big umbrella of a lot of things and it's beautiful. This is the beautiful part of all these things happening. But also, the shortcoming is that it's a lot of things that happen so fast. And so when year five hit and people were tired and burnt out and ready to step away, I was like, I still have a couple energy. I have energy left. I'm going to, you know step in. Um, but also this is like my caveat to leave my teaching job. I was like, yes, I can fully be full time in the outdoor industry, but also recognizing I'm stepping into this role as a new person. So that means I'm taking on all of the like shortcomings that we've had and having to sit back and like, okay, we have to do a restructure of operations to make things feel smoother. And so that's what I've been doing for the last year. It's a lot of learning. Um, and recognizing too, as we do like programs, and um, not only programs but meetups and events, and like creating grants, it makes more sense for us to do this transition, which is becoming a nonprofit, because it's easier for folks to actually are more willing to invest within the communities that we're working with, and helping prolong the work that we're doing right now. And so right now that's been like the biggest transition work that I've been working on. Um, but yeah, like now we started in DC to Colorado, California and Massachusetts, and now we're in 10 locations, um, with 27 leaders and, um, yeah, that's kind of where we are now.
0: That's so awesome. Um, it is a big umbrella. It's very wide. It covers so many things. If you're um if you're stuck in an elevator with somebody and you have, you know, 60 seconds to tell them about Brown Girls Climb and what it is, what's your what's your short pitch? Like what if you were to say this is what this thing is now at this stage? What's the short version?
1: The short version is our mission, which is our our mission is to create a space of mentorship, leadership, and um connection amongst women of color and non-binary folks in the climbing and outdoor um industry, but also community. Love that. That's the baseline.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: Um oh what was I gonna ask you? I had this great question and it just escaped me. Oh, okay. This is gonna sound like a very, a very basic question, but I actually would love to hear from your perspective, um, how it felt. So that first meetup, like obviously creating a space where women of color can all get together and meet other people like them and, and see, see representations, see other women crushing. Um, very, you know, obviously that's amazing. What did that feel like that first meetup with the three of you, you know, having come from a background of climbing with mostly white friends and and coming from a white family, um, can you describe how that felt? What was different about it? What really popped out at you? I know that sounds really basic, but I would just love to hear um, what what stands out from that experience, if anything.
1: I think probably what stood out the most and like, not even like, I feel like with that meetup, it was a lot of learning about each other. So there wasn't like so much like a aha moment. But i think once we started gathering more folks i recognized like creating a space where we can actually just like be which was like so not unique because i've been in other spaces that like were filled with like other women of color but specifically in the climbing space because i was frustrated as being one of the few guides of color that were in my area but being able to have a space to conversate and talk about it without it being like, oh, that's nothing or, oh, it is what it is. Like, that was more of like a hit point of like, oh, wow, I can actually express my frustrations and people get it. Everyone like, here gets it, yeah. Like, that, that happens and like, they understand it in a way where they don't have to be guides or they have to be fully immersed into like the outdoor industry, but it could be something that they happens in their work life or like their everyday and then it's like, oh yeah, like I totally understand this frustration or like totally understand like that situation that happened. Um, And so being able to kind of slowly cultivate those spaces really made me see the importance of having just our community meetups, our workshops when we are teaching of like, oh yeah, no, it goes much more than just like, oh yes, we're, you know, all women of color, non-binary folks that are in a space together, but it's also a space where it's like, we can ask these questions to each other and know that we're not going to get second guessed. Mm. or we can like express like, why maybe this is something that relates to a harder moment in their climbing space or their outdoor space. And they know that folks are going to be like, okay, I totally get it. I see like, I feel like I had a re-feeling of this most recently last year when I led an outdoor meetup um, at like one of my old guiding areas. And we had a quite a few handful of new climbers who have never climbed out, like never climbed, period. And I always get stoked when people like they haven't even experienced a gym, but they are coming to the meetup and they're gonna get their full on experience of climbing outside. But what was even cooler was just listening to the conversations of people doing that, just being able to, like, I'm in a space that makes me feel welcomed. I'm going to just talk about how I'm feeling about this situation and, like, hear out what other people are saying. And to me, that just, like, revamped why we create these spaces, not even with Brownless Klein, but other spaces, like, especially when you're outside. Like, the gym setting could be a little bit difficult because you have so much going on. You have other voices that are listening in so sometimes it can feel a little bit like you don't want to express all but when you're in nature that hits differently because oftentimes you're it's just like your group you have mother nature surrounding you and it just feels like that sense of like i feel good i feel welcomed and i just want to release what i'm what i'm holding up right now Mm. it's been a rough work week i need to release this and like release it in a way where I'm gonna talk about it and then I'm gonna have fun on the wall and climb. And I think that that was a moment for me of like recognizing why this work is like super important. Um, and to me, it's like, I always tell people, it's not about the numbers. Um, and this is probably my more like emotional side of thinking. Like a lot of people think like, oh yeah, you just wanna have like 50 people at the crag to showcase, like you brought 50 people out and I'm like, no, I rather have like, if one person showed up and they expressed their feelings and got to climb and got to learn something, to me, that is a big takeaway. Like, or having a group of eight, like, I think to me, it's more about creating a space of welcoming, creating a space where people are seen one-on-one versus just having like a crew, which having a crew is totally fine. But I think when it comes to creating like organizations like this and our mindfulness and like the ways and our values, having that intimate moments where you can be one-on-one where people can feel more vulnerable is like, it's, I don't know, it's more powerful and meaningful. Um, And then it gets people stoked that they want to continue learning more, not only about each other, but about climbing and like how it can be very like therapeutic for them. And like, maybe they do want to start climbing in a gym so they can go back outside. Maybe they want to take on like another class. And so, yeah, it comes into like, different layers of it and yeah yeah that's why i appreciate this work and and it's not just me like there's a full community of local leaders who want to create that space within their communities and like and that also gets me stoked of seeing like people wanting to create that space where they also want to yeah want to build community
0: and we will be right back This episode is brought to you by Rumpel. My Rumpel blanket is literally one of my favorite things I own. It's so cozy, it's like having the coziness of a puffy sleeping bag with you wherever you go. Check out this story. On a surf and ski trip through California, the founders of Rumpel got stuck in the back of their car in freezing temperatures and had to bundle in their sleeping bags and sip whiskey to stay warm while they waited for rescue cozy and warm in their sleeping bags, they realized they were even cozier than they typically were in their beds at home. The idea for a sleeping bag blanket was born. Rumpel's original puffy blanket is made of the same materials as your favorite outdoor gear. It pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a durable water repellent finish. So it's water resistant, stain resistant, and odor resistant. This thing is the best. As I said, it's the coziest blanket you could ask for. Perfect for staying warm at the boulders or at the crag. Great for camping, I have one in my van and use it all the time. And just great to have around the house. It'll be your new favorite blanket, full stop, whatever the circumstances. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code NUGGET at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code NUGGET at checkout. And now back to the show. I'm going to share a listener question. I got a great question from one of my patrons. Um, I thought this was interesting. This is from Adam. You know, you. you What's that?
1: the patron questions do you just like ask people wait, yeah I, t- I told
0: everybody you were coming on the show and said do you have any questions for Brittany?"
1: oh okay <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. <laughs> this is a live feed it's happening right now yeah 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 is that what you thought
1: <laughs> in a second then i spelled down on my notes i was like wait no there's there's okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be some magic. No, I'm not I'm not streaming this. Um but yeah, I so you know Brown Girls Climb and and you yourself you're so good at creating these spaces for um for women of color, non-binary people of, of color where they can gather together. Um and those are these separate events. So I think this is an interesting question. Adam wants to know how can we make Climbing events like well-established climbing events like the Rendezvous in Rifle, which has been going on for years and years, or the International Climber Festival in Lander, that's been going on for years and years. How do we make those sorts of events more welcoming and accessible to diverse communities?
1: Yeah, that's like a really grand question. Now, now you're like, but um, I think there's a lot that goes into to it um i think it's not just saying oh yeah just say come along and you're welcome here there's a lot of layering when it's building out a festival as many folks know and i think it's part of the conversation when you're building out a festival for the year it's like for us thinking is like what are your safety protocols what are your zero tolerance policies like understanding the talents that you're having these festivals How welcoming is the town in general? Is this a space where if you said a group could come and they decided to go to a restaurant, would they also be treated in a way where like if they're on the festival grounds? And it comes a little bit, it's not complex. It's just like you have to think a little bit bigger than just thinking like, oh, yes, we want to have like a BIPOC um, learn to trad group like that will be making us more welcome. It's like, no, you have to think about who's also in these spaces that are probably don't actually understand like brown girls time, or don't understand why we have different affinity groups and having the, the backing of being like, we want to support whatever happens, we're going to step in and take care of those situations. And so that's something to think about when planning out just in festivals p- in general, it's like, okay. And, um, the accessibility is also thinking too, it's like, if you're trying to make a, a festival more accessible, are you reaching out to folks who that is their background in consulting? Um, thinking of like, an example is like Karima Bots, who runs Adaptive Climbing Group, is someone who does consulting for organizations and festivals and can break down the understanding of like, if you're trying to do accessibility, what are the key things that you already have? What are the key things that you don't have that you would need in order to make this space welcoming and um accessible to move around and it goes along the lines too of like um are you training staff are you prepping folks in preparation before the festival starts um this is something that we're doing at yosemite united yosemite we're having justice outside come and actually do like a kind of all-around baseline um jedi training to get folks understanding that there's gonna be just different backgrounds coming in. How do you navigate all these backgrounds? How are you creating this space space of support? Is there someone that's gonna be your point of contact when a situation arises that someone can say, hey, this happened, this person said this to me, or this action happened, who can I go to to talk about this and actually have um, action take place? So those are like, it takes a little bit um, more work of doing. Um, that's the big thing is like, are you willing to do that work? Um, and also recognizing that probably the first year, if you're trying to do this work, it's going to be a fumble a little bit because it's never going to be perfect. But if you're willing to try to create these spaces to be more welcoming and accessible, then you're willing to take that time of understanding. You're going to get some, like, you're going to miss something. That's just the reality. We we've gone through it. Everyone goes, you're always going to miss something, but it's something that you can work on for the next time. Mm. And I think, Um, Yeah, I think that's something to think about, that it should always, if you're trying to make a space more welcoming, it should already be in your plan for um, building out that space for that festival. So, like, literally, that's kind of creating, like, a green book of climbing, like, at a festival, creating a green book. These are the key places that we know that are... welcoming and safe for you to like enter in like especially if you're a queer or trans person like here are the places that we know that are going to be okay so that way folks actually have that set plan like if they wanted to go to to these festivals versus running into like you know i haven't been to lander but i know like wyoming is a very like rural place and therefore i would want to know kind of what are going to be the places that I'll feel good actually navigating going into and one of the places that i should completely avoid don't even think about stepping in um and so yeah i mean that is something that i also do um with festivals uh so if that is something they have questions about they can definitely reach out um but i think it's like thinking outside the box more than just having like a bipoc like um workshop it's thinking overall the 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 welcoming, the safety of the festival of itself, and then also because right now in the times that we're in, and everything that a lot of people have worked on is getting like slowly backtracked in a sense because you know you're thinking of like the banned books and like the you know. All of the things that are happening politically that also still intertwines, like it doesn't get separated from the climbing world. And that's something that they also have to think about, too. It's like, OK, this is happening in like our society right now. These are these laws that are being in place. OK, how are we going to make our space welcoming while this is happening? And if they're not willing to do that and say they're separating climbing from politics, then it's not going to be a welcoming space mm. for most of the communities that we tend to work with.
0: Yeah. No, it it is interesting. I mean, you gave the lander example and, um, and that makes perfect sense. It being a rural town. I, I, I haven't spent a ton of time there. Um, But where my mind went reading that question was immediately to rifle Colorado and it's like, yeah, once you're in the canyon, you know, you can kind of make that environment to some extent you can make it as inclusive as you want to because climbers can kind of take over that canyon and make it feel like a climber's space. But then man, you have to go into town and get groceries or fill up on water or whatever else and man if I was queer or trans or black. I mean, I remember I was there in 2020 and there was a lot of Trump signs in people's yards. And um, would I feel safe just going to the library to do a work day or to go to, you know, the Quick Mart or the Walmart or whatever and and get my groceries? I don't know. I don't know if I would. I think it'd feel feel very uncomfortable. Um, And yeah, I think, you know, with that whole... I don't know if people are still saying this, but, you know, initially in 2020, there was There was people saying like, "How can the outdoors be racist or how can the outdoors be um, not inclusive?" It's the outdoors. It's it's nature. (laughs) Yeah, people. I'm sure people still say that. Yeah, but it's like, no, you're not. You're not thinking about the town that you have to access these parts of the country um, where you know, as a white person, you take for granted that you feel safe when you go to the grocery store. But you know it's it's a huge it's a huge privilege to not have to think about that. And if you do stop and think about it and do the thought experiment experiment, it's like, oh, yeah, that might be really uncomfortable to be in this space. So lots of layers.
1: hmm Lots of layers. and there are layers that you can definitely work through. It's just like the reality of like, are you willing to take the time to work through these layers to want to build a, a welcoming space? That's like the key question to ask, because like, if you're like, kind of, sort of, yeah, maybe, then it's like a no. <laughs> It has to be a hard yes or a hard no, one or the other. (laughs)
0: Right. It's going to take like, it's going to take real work, a lot of thought, a lot of prep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that's a good lead into your road trip. I would actually love to hear about your road trip to Bishop in Vegas. When was this? This was a few years ago now.
1: Yeah, this is like 2019. Okay. Yeah. 2019. Four years ago. Um, Yeah.
0: Wow. Why did going on that trip feel important to you? Why did it feel important to you to do that?
1: yeah um this was like in my mindset of I, when you asked me about man life i thought i was going to have like a hot moment of like going around the country and doing this type of thing of like going to these amazing climbing spaces and then being able to connect with communities specifically women women of color in these climbing spaces that is their home crag and have these conversations around the climbing community the industry what is happening what changes do they want to see and being able to bring that those voices to light and um yeah i pitched it to patagonia and they were like sure let's do this and i was like oh okay <laughs> uh so i got like a an escape van so i was van lifeing it for a, a hot minute and um yeah i a lot of lessons learned um learning that going to december in um in california you know somebody's more likely going to be close because of snow and if they offer you snow tire like chains take them because (laughs) you're going to have to go all the way around tahoe and you're going to be on a cliff while snow is just literally like breathing on your windshield while you're like winding down the road i learned a lot i learned a lot um but i think what was really amazing was being able to connect with a lot of these folks um and hear their vision and passion and kind of seeing them still like i'm still connected to some of the people that i've interviewed and watching them blossom in the industry and finding their voice and talking about the ways of like understanding that climbing is inaccessible to most people but also this is what i'm trying to do to create that change this is the changes that i want to see these are the things that i want to like that I've navigated, that I'm hoping that other people don't have to navigate. And I think being able to create a kind of like a story and also really sharing out the facts about the climbing um, industry was just something that I wanted to do and have it be from a perspective too, where it wasn't so trauma riddled, which oftentimes, and like, I'm working on a part two of this, but like oftentimes these stories are very like trauma riddled. And so I wanted to find that balance like, yes, we can talk about these really hard Issues, But also let's talk about some of the joys and accomplishments that these women of color are doing and or working on, whether it is community work or it's like their own personal goals of like trying to send like uh, 13 in Red Rocks or things like that. And so I wanted to kind of have like a nice like rainbow perspective of who's actually out here climbing and what it's like for
0: them. Mm. That's awesome. So tell me more about the vision for the trip. You were you pitched it to Patagonia. Um, from mm-hmm. the start, you planned to turn it into a story. So you were interviewing women of, yeah. of color? Okay, on the trip. That's so awesome. That's so cool. What did that look like? Were you just taking notes to to write the article, um, getting together and, and recording with a tape recorder? Or, yeah, what what did that look like, the interview process and connecting with these people?
1: Yeah, so I actually had my Canon camera <laughs> with me <laughs> nice. and I actually did radio, video interviews. Oh, cool. Um, and so that way, and then what I did from there was like, um, take like the, the interviews and kind of cypher them. Is it cypher? Is that the word I'm looking for? But using like, um, a transcript. So I was able to kind of get quotes from them. And like what we did was like, had more of like, I had three questions for them, but I was like, I want these, I want you all to think about them. And then we're just going to have more of an open conversation where all these questions are going to be hit. And then I'm able to kind of like elaborate, um, and so, yeah, so I used the Canon camera as like the photography and like the recording. So, it was very minimal like equipment <laughs> to, to create this project. And yeah, I also wanted to create a space too of, like, it's not just me going up and like interviewing. Like, we spent the day together, we climbed together, we ate dinner together. Like, we really took the time to like get to know each other um, before like immersing into like having a harder conversation. Uh, just because I wanted it to feel good um, and natural, and so you know, when I was in Bishop, I was I was in Bishop for a Christmas, and we for that those interviews we climbed in the Happies and the Sads because uh, the Buttermilk's was snowed, um, but I still wanted to like go and like walk along the the trail just to kind of experience the environment. So I haven't actually climbed the climb in Buttermilk's yet because every time I feel like. I have a chance, um, it, something happens weather, yeah, you know, um, but I think, yeah, I think creating that space too, just like, it's not about interviewing. It's like also being within community and like coming together. So I did the interviews in pairs. So that way the folks would also get connected with another woman of color in that space and like build also a, a relationship around there versus it just being like a one-on-one, um, I
0: oh, that's cool that's super cool and what was your experience like on the trip how long was it
1: oh was it two weeks maybe okay two weeks about a week a week and a half it was like all the way up until new year's eve was when i um came back home um yeah it was a while i think it was two weeks (laughs) I could look up my Google calendar. <laughs> that's
0: okay. Yeah, um, that's roughly two weeks. Yeah. yeah
1: um, roughly two weeks.
0: It, it, let me ask this question. In hindsight, hindsight's always twenty twenty. What <laughs> do you wish you had known when you were first planning the trip?
1: Learning the passages that close for the season. Because I flew into San Francisco and. I, my mind, I was like, I'm just going to drive through Yosemite and it's going to be grand and not understanding like, (laughs) no, seasonally, roads close in Yosemite and you're going to have to drive all the way around. And so I thought I prepped myself, but I did not prep myself. Um, I think...
0: I'm kind of chuckling because I've been shut down by that exact same thing before. I'm like, "Um, now I have to drive over to Nevada and all the way back around to get, I'm trying to get to Washington. Yeah. It's brutal. Um,
1: I, I think... Maybe for the most part, I felt pretty prepped. I think I would have like had better equipment in in long sight. I think for me it was also learning the the towns that I was going through. So though I did my research, I felt like I didn't do my research enough. Where I would have probably pinpointed more gas stations that I would stop at versus like certain gas stations that I stopped at and got a very, like, what are you doing here? Mm. And me being like, where's your bathroom? (laughs) And just going in and out really, really fast. Um, I think planning out too, what I did was um, being more intentional of like, I did get to spend time like understanding a little bit more of the indigenous communities, but I think I would have liked to spend more time understanding like the historic sense of the spaces I was traveling in um because I went through like the Saharas and like I did stop I got to stop at um Manzanar because um one of the climbers told me like oh yeah you should stop here and I got to stop and I wanted to spend more time so I think I would have wanted to incorporate more just like black and brown history throughout um because I think it's like history that people do know but it's not spoken about um like the japanese concentration camps in a way that it should be talked about um and yeah i don't know i think those were kind of some of the key things that hindsight but for the most part i planned it pretty well in the sense of like how I was going to travel i think recognizing too though i picked out camping spots i did not camp in most of those spots that i picked out because i was terrified and so i had a friend that actually was staying in bishop in like one of the hotels so i actually camped out in the hotel parking lot because Mm. i knew like if anything were to happen their room was like right there versus like going to like the camp spots um like in the in the uh in buttermilks um because i yeah i just didn't feel super comfortable i also camped outside the um the the hostel there which typically i don't think you're supposed to camp outside there but um i think at the time the rooms were all filled and they let me like use their wi-fi and, and shower and stuff for free nice um but i yeah i definitely felt very uncomfortable by myself and i think i would have planned a lot better of like who can be my safety points mm. versus kind of like jumping in being like uh, oh, it should be fine um but yeah
0: well, I i mean, this is why I think this is so interesting and valuable to to talk about and to hear about from you. I mean, for any, you know, for any like white people, white climbers listening to this who, you know, maybe they didn't grow up in like a economically privileged situation. I think something I mean, this just like helps illuminate white privilege and what it is, you know, like, it's so easy for me to jump in my van, drive to California. I've never planned out which bathrooms and gas stations I have to stop at. You know, I've never had that thought of like, oh, I don't know about this one. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. And so thank you for sharing it. It's, it's just such, um, It's just so illuminating to kind of see it through that lens and to think back on my trips down to Bishop in the middle of winter, you know, coming from Bellingham, Washington, or later from Bend, Oregon, or whatever, all these tiny little rural rural towns along the way. And um, I've never had to plan any of that stuff, you know, like, that's, that's such a massive privilege and um, feels really huge and really obvious hearing it contrasted with with your experience. Um, So thanks for sharing that. I I was curious. I want to ask about favorite memories from the trip. And I I would think it'd be really fun to hear a non-climbing and a climbing favorite memory. I do want to hear about your climbing. I promise it's a climbing podcast. But do you have any favorite non-climbing memories from the trip? Was it the interviews? Was it a specific moment? Does anything really stand out to you?
1: For non-climbing? Well, because my friends were also there on their own climbing trip that was really nice to like be able to like run into them. And we had, uh, we went to town and had like Chinese food on Christmas day. And like, it was really, that was like a nice, like welcoming experience of being able to be with people without it being like, it was planned type of thing. That was really nice. Um, definitely the interviews, um, were really, really grand. And like, for me, just being immersed in a different environment where it's like East Coast, landscape is still vastly different than west coast landscape so like no matter what driving through i'm always in awe so like i me being me besides like going through historic things i also am a big movie person and when i do my road trips i always like to go to like famous movie scenes and so
0: oh cool I to, <laughs> that's awesome I,
1: I i love doing that it's like i'm so nerdy with that
0: but... <laughs> that's that sweet i want to hear about some of them yeah
1: so, going through like the alabama hills and there's like a little like um like museum and it's a museum of like all the movies that were shot here so like it has like objects from movies which i never got to share all this stuff online which maybe i will one day um but like i got to see like a replica like some of the um tremors like Uh, puppets that they use for the movie and like got to see kind of like the location where like certain Star Wars scenes were shot and like um, obviously like cowboy movies but those I'm like not so much a cowboy movies but like knowing like those type of films were filmed there and so going so I went to Alabama Hills and like did like some like hiking and like to me that was really cool um, to like see how like this vast area often gets used to be like very sci-fi type of environment. And so I thought that was like a super, super cool thing. Um, Yeah. I'm kind of think what other, I think going to Manzanar was also a really cool experience just to learn about that history and understanding that space um, and taking the time to just like recognizing that so much has gone on into those areas. Um, I think, what was it? There's something up. I've also just van lifing it. I think that was also just overall a great experience in a sense that like it was my first time. And like I used um one of those sleep vans. So like learning how to sleep and make sure that I was sleeping well was pretty fun and interesting. And um I think I definitely would love to do it like having like another person a part of it to make the adventure super fun. But I also just like driving by myself too um driving through Nevada I got to drive through Death Valley that was amazing um like and I walked around for a little bit there and like this is like a whole different world but it's just so cool and so that was like really fun to be able to drive through there um I was gonna go to the Grand Canyon but I got sick (laughs) so I had to stay in a hostel in Las Vegas because I literally got like a fever and i was so close i was so close yet so far away and i was like i think this is a sign that i have to do it another another time um so yeah adding that experience being able to experience a little bit of vegas didn't get to climb the red rocks that was i will say like a downside but I got to experience them didn't get to climb because they were wet mm. and we were um, we did our interviews didn't even know i interviewed them at the neighboring crag um but we were trying to take or do the portraits and the person who's like local to red rocks we were just like yeah let's not let's we, we can find something else because literally there were puddles and people were still climbing on the rocks. oh just man
0: like,
1: y'all like and yeah obviously not cool was like it's the holidays like i traveled out here so i'm going to climb versus like yeah i traveled out here too but i'm not gonna like climb on the rocks because it's still wet <laughs> like so that was in 2019 and like still we're having these conversations which is like you know i understand the rock layers my friends but (laughs) yeah yeah um so we went to the neighboring crag, which is like around the corner where like obviously when red rocks is wet you can go and climb and it was funny because the funny story was that we were climbing and someone brought up free solo because it was still when the hype of the movie popped out and um Alex, Alex Hall walked by, and I've met the person a few times. So we've had some heavy conversations. So it's like, oh, hey, what's up? And like, <laughs> he was like, oh, hi. And he went by with his partner, and they went to go and climb. And like, both of the people I was with are like, oh my goodness, that's. I was like, yeah, that's Alex. Yeah, <laughs> um, just going to his neighboring crag and doing his thing. But I think that was really funny. But it was also really cool to see the other crags that wasn't just red rocks. I think that was like a cool experience to you know everyone wants to go to red rocks and like experience climbing there but it, i think it's also really great to experience other forms of climbing in the vegas area um
0: oh there's so much yeah.
1: yeah 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 but yeah those are like some of the grand memories yeah I've, not that i forgot about this trip it's just like i don't get to think about and sit with like oh yeah i gotta do this dope thing and like drive through that valley and like the sierras and like you know experience snow and like yeah it was like a, such a grand trip like i would love to do something like that again for sure yeah um and like yeah yeah
0: well the grand canyon's not <laughs> going anywhere i, I think the you know. <laughs> earth would have to be destroyed for that thing to go away so you can always do another trip and go back and see that thing. It's pretty amazing. I finally, I don't think I had seen the Grand Canyon until last year, but I finally stopped through on my way down to Flagstaff. And it's just, the scale of it, the scope of it is just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Can't get your mind around it. Um, what about favorite climbing memories? What stands out to you?
1: Favorite climbing memories? From oh, that trip. Um, I think that was my first experience doing like a semi highball which I don't know if, how much, you know, like the happiest and the sad, um, pretty well. Like that yeah. One. yeah they, and I feel like everyone has climbed this one, like as of now, but it's like, right. As you walk in, it's kind of like a nice slabby, um, climb where oftentimes people warm up before like going further in. And so that was like my first, um, yeah, experience in a sense of like doing a highball before I've gone to Waco. Now experience a full like on highballs. And that was like a really fun um climb. Was that like um, Heavenly I'm,
0: Path, maybe?
1: I believe so. Yeah,
0: yeah. so yeah. classic. Love that thing. I love I, it.
1: Yeah, I love hopping on the classics. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know if I'm not going to be there all the time, might as well try to get the classics if I can. And like, now I'm like, when I go back, I can like hop on some other stuff, but yeah, that was like a fun experience. I think also just being able to walk through and just see how like the happies and the sads are just formed and the way the climbs are was like really, really cool. I wish I said that I had buttermilk, um, adventures, but I, I got to hike. I got the yeah. stuck.
0: You got the um, you got the fan <laughs> stuck. That's an adventure.
1: I got stuck in snow. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did not understand that and like I was like I need to get out of here really fast because I don't want to be that person that messes something up. Yeah. Um I think climbing sport in Nevada is really fun and beautiful and their clipping is not as as uh I don't know, not as <laughs> overwhelming like the new, where the new is like mm those bolts were like trad clients that turned into sport climbs, And like the run out is pretty like intense and like being able to find climbs that are like a little bit more friendlier was nice. Um, but yeah, because I was doing more interviewing than like, cause the weather kind of shook things up. I didn't get to like fully, fully immerse in the ways that I wanted to, but I still got to like hike around and like, I think that too was really cool, but Yeah. I I'm excited to go back when when it's healed cuz it's going to be a while before we'll be able to access I think the Happytons side yeah. right now. Yeah.
0: I know. What a season. Yeah, the roads are all washed out. It's just it's just mm-hmm. crazy what's going on there this season everywhere. It's just been so mm-hmm. wet. Do you yeah. have advice yeah. for do you have advice that you would want to pass on um from that trip? Do you have any advice for specifically black women? Um, I'm sure this will be relevant for, you know, non-binary trans folks, any other underrepresented uh, folks in climbing who haven't seen examples of themselves doing stuff like this. Um, But yeah, any advice for, for people who want to go on their first climbing trip or road trip?
1: Yeah, solo or as a group.
0: Yeah. Maybe they're just, maybe they're just thinking about it for the first time. Maybe they're envisioning doing it solo. Um, if you have advice for that, maybe your advice is to try to find a group. I, I don't know, but yeah, anything that comes to mind would be great.
1: Yeah. Um, I think in a group setting for first out climbing, like going climbing outside is like really, really key. Um, just thinking in a sense of safety. And so being able to even get to have a plus one in the car makes a big difference. I think planning out everything is is crucial as we all know, planning ahead. But like there's like even that extra step of planning, where are the sundown towns? And like when you were talking about
0: um say that again, the what towns?
1: Sundown towns. So these are towns that like when the sun goes down, if you are black, brown, queer, trans, you don't want to be out um on the streets because people yeah are racist homophobic and like will do things especially in the times that we're in right now and especially the areas that folks tend to go and climb these are these are things to think about um this is why the green book was created um which is like a traveling book for black folks that were created in the 1930s and um and so yeah it's now we're in what 2023 20, so these are still things we got to think about a safety making a plan so having gear that's going to help you make sure you stay in contact with people because you're going to run into areas that you're not going to have service so having like a garmin um gps system it doesn't even have to be the super fancy one it could be the baseline one where you can like set up unmet text or have people follow your like your travel so they know where you are or something happens even having your phone set on that that's what i do all the time when i travel by myself or if i'm traveling with a group and i know we're going to be in a space where you won't have um access like uh service um but then also recognize too that there's so many um the way that social media is, it's like reaching out to people. And so that's why we created like the Brown Girls Climb app. If you you wanna go traveling and you wanna go on these really grand like climbing trips, reaching out to your community and being like, hey, I'm gonna be in this area. Would anyone be down to like climb, co-work, meet up? I would love to like get introduced into the space. Um, will also kind of set the tone of safety too. So that way, you know, that you're going into a town where someone's going to be like, oh yeah, I'm down to like meet up or I'm down to like climb. I think is is something key. You know, I think we often put a lot of fear, which is like, it's, you know, fear and that makes us want to not do these things. And so it's a lot of just trying to figure out how can we like make sure that we are keeping each other safe and supporting each other through these like ways of traveling and wanting to be in nature, wanting to experience climbing in different areas. And it, so I would always say if you're yeah. Traveling with more than one person is extra crucial. If you're someone that traveling by yourself, I say reach out within the community. If you don't know anyone in the area and maybe, um, yeah, Ask and say, hey, is there anyone that I could like climb with? Or if you know anyone that would be down to be like someone that I could have my van in their driveway for a bit or their car or like knowing a hostel or area that's pretty safe for like black or brown or queer folks to like come and stay. I think that's like the extra research to do. Um, so that way you can kind of set yourself up a little bit. Um and obviously no, not everything's gonna be perfect, but I think going through those lines will will be a little bit easier to to navigate um yeah I have a whole kind of safety plan of who are my point of contacts across the country when I'm traveling I let people know even when I'm flying like when I'm taking off and landing here's my point space this is where I'm going to be um I tend to if I'm traveling I will post where I'm at, maybe, but not like fully location wise for safety. And like, I'll do that afterwards when I get home. Um, but yeah, I think understanding that there's community folks that will will be easy to lean on for sure. I think that's like the overall, like, yes, safety, but also know there's community folks, so many community folks who will want us to get out there and are willing to support in that process and making sure that you're able to travel and get out and connect
0: with other people that's awesome thank you super hopeful. thanks for sharing all that um, this has been awesome, Brittany. yeah, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think this has been um yeah it's just been super fun i'm I'm glad we finally had a chance to to make this happen. I have just a few closing questions. I want to respect your time. I know we're coming up on your your cutoff here. Do you want to tell me about your climbing goals? I kind of chuckled looking back at my notes and seeing your Rumney versus your Gunks climbing goals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got a real kick out of that. <laughs> it's like, that is so hilarious. I've never been to the Gunks, so I don't really fully understand the context, but just from kind of hearing things, but I don't mean to answer for you. Um, yeah. Tell me about your climbing goals.
1: Yeah. So my climbing goals as of right now, um, I'll layer it with with my instructing world. I want to take my SBI my sickle pitch instructor assessment this year um and for like climbing climbing um I rope wise I have goals in Rumney. there's a climb um called Great White it's like 513 512 so that's like a goal that I'm aiming to work on this year send that would be super dope to send it would be my first 12 and or like I say 12 and or 13 because I've been watching so many videos that people go back and forth.
0: Mm. Um,
1: but it would be my first 13 outside, which would be super rad. Um for sport. And then for the gunks, <laughs> I would love to be able to climb a 5'8. <laughs> because <laughs> if you're a gunks climber, you know. And and or if you know about the gunks, like climbing a five eight, like you feel still pretty badass, like. I mean, once you get in the twelves and thirteens, yes, you're you're super badass. But for me, I'm like, if I can get an eight clean, I'll be happy for the season. And yeah. Um
0: <laughs> I love I, I love like the implied equivalence between five thirteen and Romney and 5.8 in and the gunks. That is just hilarious. You like know, I said, I've I mean, never been, slow, but it's too funny.
1: It's you know, I'm a slow track climber. Like there's a lot, yeah. I'm all about safety when it comes to trad and like a five eight still is pretty like it can be a lot
0: so mm. yeah all right yeah that's that's awesome what about with yeah. um what about with mountains are there any mountains that you would are you the type of person that you see a picture of an iconic snowy peak and you have to go climb it or are, are there any mountains kind of in the back of your mind um that feel like goals for you
1: yeah i mean i have a long-term goal well okay Short-term goal, I think, for this year is try to do the Wonderland Trail. It's been a trail that I've been trying to do for, like, a few years now.
0: Is that the one around Rainier? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome.
1: Um, I think maybe possibly doing Rainier again this year. Um, That would be really grand. But if not, I'm rather happy with the Wonderland Trail. Um, I'm going to be in Yosemite for about two weeks. so I'm hoping to try and get some climbing out there, like, some nice, like, multi- um, there, but also like mountain, mountain goals. Um, Mount Whitney has been on my list. Um, but also like in my big two to three year coming up, I think it's now two. I would like to climb Denali. That's like my, my next like big mountain. Um, phase i have as i tell people my desire for everest is very very small but i have desires for other mountains that are the equivalent maybe of like understanding endurance and like yeah how powerful they are in a sense um but denali is like my big two to three year goal plan awesome um, so that's why I'm doing all these other wonderful connecting to other mountains um but yeah i'm excited well, no, I'm not going to say hopefully. It's going to happen. I need to I'm to carve out time <laughs> to make it happen.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that shift. Yeah, it's going to happen. Not hopefully. Going to do it. Just a matter of time. That's awesome. Um, let's see. What other closing questions do I have here? I wanted to ask you about inspiration. Who is someone that you feel inspired by right now? Ooh.
1: I have a lot of people who inspire me. Can I start off with me?
0: Oh, fuck <laughs> yeah. That's such a good answer. I love that and answer.
1: I And I take this because, like... <laughs> I no love video? it. I don't know if you know who Issa Rae is. Um, she's, like, this dope black comedian who created a show called Insecure on HBO. And she did, a, like, an uh, acceptance speech because she won an award. And she talked about how, like, you know, I want to thank all these people, but I also want to, like think myself for getting myself here and so yeah yes. i should remind myself that i can also be inspired by myself it's not a bad thing to say we should all say that <laughs> like it's a good reminder but i also have so many folks in the community that also inspire me to make sure that i lean on them but then also watching them do amazing work and like i've listed so many there's not just one it's like multiple people from like faith briggs who does amazing work in the community of film and just getting stories out there to Genevieve walker who's a, like a badass um guide and athlete to um adeline who's like this amazing up and coming she's a route setter and just getting her voice out there to Karima Bots, to like months there's like so many people that i'm like i could like spend a whole hour just listing how great they are like room map my friend Chaya harris um i get inspired by conrad Angard and malik uh, martin and like um kai leitner they're just like so many amazing people within our community that are just doing such grand things and um i don't get to talk to them every day maybe i get to talk to them once a, once a year but it's I'm inspired by all that they're doing and the ways that they tell their story, the way that they connect and impact the community. Um, yeah, I think it's just so dope just to be able to be in this work and get to work alongside all these amazing people that I also get to call friends. Yeah. Super cool. Um, Yeah.
0: That's awesome. You've mentioned uh, this is kind of fun. You've mentioned Adeline a couple of times. She's actually coming out to Red Rock. I think in about two weeks. You and I are talking mm-hmm. at the end of March, and she's coming out in mid-April. And I'm in St. George, which is like two hours away. So I think I'm going to pop over there and climb with her and do an interview while she's yeah. while she's here. So really looking forward to that. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you have any uh, if you have any topics or questions for for Addie, it'd be super fun to get some notes from you.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I'll send some over.
0: Awesome, yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll follow up with you on that. That'd be that'd be awesome. What is something you wish people spent more time thinking about?
1: Ooh, um, I wish people would spend more time to thinking about that. It's <laughs> um, as much as climbing is everything to some people, there's a lot going on in the world where we should be taking focus in. Um, It's easy to say going into nature to escape what's happening, but also recognizing if you have a a voice, and when I say a voice, it doesn't mean you have to have a gajillion followers and like in magazines, like everyone has a voice. But if you have the accessibility to use your voice and the knowledge to use your voice to be able to do so, especially right now in the times that we're in and what is happening with all of these laws being passed and figuring out how can you step in and support the communities of black and brown and trans and queer folks who are being affected by this. That is something that I want everyone to know. I think that's even coming from me, but then our own communities, it's like we all have this voice that we should try to use, but then also be gentle with ourselves because in reality, We get fed news in a way that it's so fast that we're not able to process Mm -hmm. so it's like also recognizing too like you can take that time to step back and then also find ways how to step in for action Mm. um that's something that i want people to understand more um yes and i say that because now i've been working outside of the climbing world and i realized our world is still fresh and new compared to so many other sports spaces and outdoor industry spaces. And so, yeah, I have to always think on the bigger side. Yeah. I a lot of
0: <laughs> no, I, I love that. That's such a good answer. It makes, it makes me want to ask. I mean, this could be a whole long rabbit hole of a conversation, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it quickly here. Um, how do you stay in touch with the news and do you have any thoughts on the balance there, because you said something interesting just now. It's like you know, it moves so fast. It's we can't, we can't even get our heads around it, and that's something that I still um, struggle with a lot. Like, where's the line between staying informed and protecting my own mental well-being? Do you know what I mean? Because it, it's so it's so easy to just make yourself crazy, or at the very least, make yourself just feel hopeless hopeless and and just overwhelmed if you follow everything that's happening all the time um how do you navigate that personally
1: yeah um i actually don't even watch like news channels anymore like i get a lot of my news from tiktok and that's because it's literally folks on the ground and like are able to share what's actually happening versus Mm -hmm. getting the very like Curated. Um, yeah, like yeah. idea. And that's cool. I I mean, like, obviously, you know, right now we're in a it's not even a TikTok band, it's the internet band that's going on. Um, and for me, it's a great way to get like a 30 seconds of understanding what's going on in the world and then being like, okay, I can step I'm gonna now take a like a second to like process what's happening and then figure out what I can do. Um I don't so much IG because IG is a lot of like, I don't know. I, I'm more of a video person and it's been helpful to do that. Obviously news articles, but I, yeah, I haven't been, I also don't have like regular uh, television cable. I only ever watch it at the laundromat. Um, but, (laughs) 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 But yeah, I feel like, you know, we talk about these social media like apps and like, how they can be toxic which is true but i've learned that like you know tiktok has been one of those helpful resources for me at least to be able to know what's going on not only here but across the world like understanding how like what's happening in france and all these things in a way that like our news won't cover it in the way that it should be covering it so yeah i use i tell people all the time, it's like. TikTok isn't about like dancing trends, days of life. Like you can get full information and it's really been helpful um, for me to do it in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's, I'm glad I asked that. That's super interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's going to totally change the way I, I don't really use TikTok, but now that makes me kind of want to engage with TikTok in in that way. I think that does make a lot of sense because it's, you're decentralizing news. Like you're getting away from the people that tell you the narrative and twist the narrative to meet you know, whatever agenda or, or just leave things out. Um, yeah, that, that's cool. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah. Especially with everything, like getting highlights of like C-SPAN and stuff like that has been super helpful to know what like is going on with those kind of conversations. Um, uh, because nowadays a lot of those people who are like TikTok news people are now being asked to be in those rooms to record and give highlights. So it's not like someone sitting in a room and giving a highlight it's like oh no this person was actually there they're going to give you the highlight mm. and then you're and for me it's like sometimes i need to find the balance of like hearing from that that general perspective and then also hear what the other side is saying and it's like when you hear like night and day it's like literally night and day you're like oh my mm. goodness this is how a lot of people think right and, like how do we come have these conversations together versus just like we're having them in our own said bubble which is our reality right now in the world is like we're pretty much just talking to the people who will agree with us versus like we need to be talking to the people who don't agree with us and figure out how we can change their perspective um but yeah that's a lot of energy
0: Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah
1: we're all trying to stay. we're all just trying to get through the day <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Really. laughs>
0: right right D- um yeah if you don't know them off the top of your hand that's fine maybe you can send me a list but do you have favorite accounts on tiktok that you follow or do you just let the algorithm you know trust the algorithm to show you new stuff because you because you follow new stuff
1: um it's like a mixture so i actually there's like a general one, like the Washington Post actually does a really great breakdown on things via TikTok and the person has been doing it since quarantine. And cool. so that has been something that I've been like following. Obviously, like you have your Washington Post, your NPR that also like will break things down Um, for me, for local news of like what's going on in like New York City. I follow um someone that called the pigeon post and they do a highlight of like what are the, the things that we need to know that's happening in new york city that may not be talking about um but there's a few others that i can't like list off the top of my head but i can like send you some like good tips but yeah, yeah i try to do like nationally globally and then like literally locally what's happening in new york and what's happening in dc like that's how I'll, like i knew what was going on in ohio and philadelphia with like all the water like contamination and like the derailment of cranes, I learned all that via TikTok, Matt, because mm. the headlines, like, I think the news started por- reporting it maybe a day, two days later mm. than when it was actually happening. And so a lot of folks have been, like, being able to, like, oh, wait, this is happening in my backyard right now. I'm now getting this information and I should be, like, getting prepared versus waiting for, like, a national news outlet to be, like, oh, yeah, you should be preparing yourself because this This is happening. And so, Yeah.
0: Well, cool. Yeah. I'd (laughs) I'd love to get a list. It'd be fun to put Brittany's list of TikTok news sources in the show notes. That'd be great. I thought
1: we were supposed to be talking about climbing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how I roll. sometimes I go, yeah. you know sometimes I spend the whole time talking about climbing, and sometimes we hardly talk about climbing at all. and just i I loved this conversation. I thought it was super interesting, super fun to connect with you um, I'm really grateful that you took the time. I know you have a lot of demands on your time and and like you said, you can't or like we talked about, you can't say yes to everything i'm I'm very grateful that you said yes to this, and it's been a real pleasure to have you on, yeah, yeah, no,
1: thank you again for having me on and like listening to the conversations and like talking a little bit about things, but also talking about some major things. Cause you know, I think it's important to be able to like understand that like my brain isn't always talking about climbing and sending it's literally talking about what's happening in the world yeah. <laughs> in and sending. So I appreciate being able to have a more open space of like understanding where a lot of process happens in the work that I do.
0: Is there anything that you want to tell people about or plug before I let you go? Where where can people find you? What are you up to? What do you want people to know, to know about before I before I let you go?
1: Yeah, um, you can find me on IG where I've been like slowly not posting really heavily, just like highlights of the month. But you can still follow me uh, <laughs> there. Um, I will be in the next what month? Um. I'll be speaking at Yale, which I'm really stoked about. Um, and then Super I, awesome. I know I'm really excited. I've been doing more university talks and so this is like, it's yeah, it's really cool. Uh, and then I'm also going to be in Yosemite in the last two weeks of June, because I've been working on a really dope project with the National Park Service, they, um American Alpine Club and Yosemite Conservancy and a few other local organizations called United in Yosemite, which is a space where we're going to bring together folks from different marginalized backgrounds and having them experience climbing, um, in the Valley and having really dope speakers and understanding, um, yeah, climbing in a space that feels welcoming. Mm. That's the whole point. And being able to do it in a space where folks, you know, everyone knows climbing, everyone knows somebody And so being able to experience that within community. Um, but yeah, those are kind of like my plugs. I have a website, but it's, up. it's, you know, needs to be updated, but I'm always down for doing consulting presentations and, you know, um, chats, especially with little ones, um, and like groups, but yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like my chill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, you can find me in the gym. I climb at GD eighty-one. That's my training gym right now. So, yeah, I—you'll more likely if I'm not traveling, you can just find me moping around New York City.
0: <laughs> moping, okay. around. Not moping
1: around? I don't know why I say moping around, but like popping around because I yeah. do a lot of new stuff. But, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. And can people donate to Brown Girls Climb? Do you do fundraisers? How do you, how do you get um how do you get money for to support you and yeah. how can people support you there?
1: Yeah, so now we're in a phase where we are able to um, collect donations. So we have like a GoFundMe account that folks can donate to. Um, you can also buy our t-shirts. We're going to be relaunching them in April, so you can head to our website. Um but yeah, the, those are some two key places that you can donate um for bgc we'll still be i'm working on trying to do an in-person fundraiser but also working with brands that establish like partnerships that's also where we get some of our funding from um so yeah if you're a brand that wants to work with us and also give us funding please reach out that's also great too
0: <laughs> all right
1: yeah. What?
0: Awesome. Well, I will link to all the things in the show notes for people at nuggetclimbing.com for this episode. Brittany Levitt. Am I saying your last name correctly? Levitt? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brittany Levitt. I'll link to Brittany's Instagram website and all things Brown Girls Climbing in the show notes for you guys. Brittany, thank you so much. Keep up the hard work on all the important things that you do. And once again, thank you so much for your time today. Really wonderful to talk to you really enjoyed it
1: yeah thank you again this was a good chat this is much needed a good chat
0: all right glad to hear it yeah. for me too <laughs> yeah really enjoyed it all right thanks everyone for listening we'll see you next time Hey friends, before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps, so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Climbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time.